0: Welcome to Vertical Church Ovilla. While you're here, click subscribe so you can check in with us every week. Right now, we're in a series called The Real Life, where Pastor Brian is speaking on being fishers of men. We hope this message inspires you and leads you to a vertical life. Let's go fishing. Freedom always has a price. You and I are here this morning because there were some who paid the ultimate price. They left home, they left family, they left friends, they left what was comfortable so that we might continue to have freedom and some never returned. And they were left with family and friends who mourn today while we are free. So I want us to pray this morning and pray for those who are. Seeing this day, perhaps in a different way than many of us are seeing it. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for freedom. We are thankful for these United States. We are thankful for history. We are thankful for a legacy. We are thankful for principles of truth. Founded by God fearing men and women that have endured and that continue today. I thank you for those who, over the years, have sacrificed so that we might remain a free people, so that our land might be safe. We pray for those families that are viewing this day perhaps in a different way than we are today. They view it with a different kind of sadness. I pray you would comfort their hearts today. I pray you would surround them with your love. Then I pray that we who remain would seek to live lives of honor, that reflect the values of what those gave their lives for, that we might continue to be a nation that is free, that seeks you, that will be a United States of America. We are grateful, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm grateful you're able to be here with us this weekend. It is a sobering reminder of what we have in freedoms, a reminder that God has purpose and plans for our lives. I know sometimes it may get a little difficult to see the plan that God has for your life. I know sometimes you may think, okay, where is it? I thought I knew the map. I thought I had the plan, but it all seems a little out of focus right now. It all seems a little confusing. In those moments, we trust what we know. We hold to what we have heard. And we believe that we have been called by God to experience his glory. Amen? That even though we born, were born sinners, We were given a savior so that we might have our sin removed, our sin forgiven, so that we might have access into the very throne room of God and know his glory. That is his purpose for us. Amen. We have been designed by God with a life that is not random. Your life is not by accident. The events of this past week were not by your choosing or the choosings of others. They have come by the very hand of God. He has a purpose for your life. It is not random, not accidental. You have been chosen by God to experience him. You've been chosen by God to be conformed to the image of his son. He is arranging the events of your life so that you might look, think, feel, know, just like Jesus knows, thinks, and feels. Wow, overwhelming. This is what God's purpose is for your life. He has even created you to be a representative of him so that you, to the world, might look like Jesus. So that to the people in your life, in your home, in your family, that you work with, in your neighborhood, that they might see you and see this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And you might look at your life and think, I'm not sure I'm anywhere near that right now, right? I'm with you. I understand. But this is God's purpose. This is his plan. And you might even think, well, that just seems a bit overwhelming. That just seems a bit big. I'm just trying to live my life, do my thing, go to work, pay some bills, and just be able to just relax a little bit and enjoy my life. I understand. But God has called you to something bigger than that. He's called you something bigger than just some comfort. He's called you to something bigger than that, that recliner in your living room. He's called you to something bigger than that car you drive. He's called you to something bigger than that job you have. He's called you to be a representative of Jesus Christ to the world. And you might not comprehend what all of that means yet. I get it. The plan is bigger than what you understand today. And the plan is even bigger than what you have submitted to up to this point. Hmm, how about that? A plan bigger than what you can comprehend and a plan bigger than maybe what you have even submitted to at this point. Do you believe that? That there's more that God has for you, but you just haven't seen it all or submitted to it all yet? It's true. God always calls us to things bigger than what we can comprehend. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But, Scripture says he has... He has shown them to us through his spirit. You see, my guess is this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this has probably happened to you. You've been in a moment like this, or some church service. You've been in your in your car, driving down the highway, listening to some preaching or some music or something. You've been out on, you've been out on a lake somewhere. You've been out in your backyard sometimes, sitting on a swing, and all of a sudden, in that moment, God spoke to you. And you heard him speaking to you. You heard him making conversation with you. You heard him making promises to you. You started getting this picture, this vision for your life of some things that he's really called you to do and you you started listening to him. And you heard it and it was kind of big and it was overwhelming. In fact, so big and overwhelming that you didn't even want to go there again in your mind. Mm. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Yep. Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? Some stuff that you think Mm, God, I don't know. I don't even know if I could even let my mind and heart go there because you're too afraid of the fact that it might not come to pass, right? And you probably even thought this. I'm not dare going to share this with anybody in my family or my friends because if I did, they'd think I had lost my mind. You ever had that before? Something so big, so great, so glorious that God shows it to you, and you get this picture in your heart, and you're like, hey, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not even going to go there. My mind, my heart, it's just too big, too grand, too great. I'm not sure I'm going to even tell anybody because they're going to think I am nuts. Understand? But God does that. He puts that in your heart. He speaks that to you because God always gives us a picture bigger than what we can comprehend, bigger than what you can even do on your own. In fact, if the dream you have for your life is easy, attainable, and able for you to be able to do, you probably don't have a dream from God. You've got a dream from yourself. Because when God gives dreams, he gives big dreams. He gives things that are Impossible for us to find and get to on our own. He does that on purpose. And so when he calls us, even as believers, to be the light of the world, to be salt on the earth, to be ambassador, spokesman for him... It is big, it is audacious, it is overwhelming. It's supposed to be. When he calls you to be the influencer of the culture, when he calls you to be fishers of men, it's supposed to hit you big and go, whoa, God, that is massive in scale what you're calling us to, what you have for my life. God, I could never do that on my own. Yeah, now we're getting somewhere this will evoke in you real worship this will evoke in you real trust if you'll surrender he's called you and i as the church to be fishers of men and to make catches bigger than what we could comprehend there's some people in your life that you've been praying for and if you're like me after a while you say i've been praying for them for years i prayed for them for decades, and nothing is happening. It's easy in that moment to think, "Mm, I'm just going to stop praying. I'm just going to move on. I'm just not even going to pray anymore about that because it just seems too big, too audacious. God calls us to some big catches, however, that require absolute faith on our part. I was reading a story recently about a man in... um, England his name was Jack Griffiths he went fishing one day I mean really fishing not fishing for men he went fishing fishing he was only expecting to uh, catch some crappie the biggest thing he'd ever caught up to this point in his life was a 33 pound carp not sure I want to catch a 33 pound carp but on this occasion Jack goes out he's got his rod and reel He's using the 20-pound line, which means with a 20-pound line, you catch a 20-pound fish. That's about all it's designed for. But when Jack goes fishing on this, this one day, he gets a tug, he gets a pull, he starts reeling, and there's a fight on. When the fight's over, Jack pulled in a fish. Look at this fish. 102-pound catfish. That's big. He was only thinking he might get a 20-pound catch. Instead, he got a 102-pound catch. He got something bigger than what he'd anticipated because he chose to go do what he was called to do, to fish. When you and I are faithful to the call that God has for us, don't be surprised if you get a catch bigger than what you ever intended. You might go out with 20 pound line, hoping to get maybe just one neighbor. And all of a sudden you find out you don't want to get the neighbor, but you get the neighbor and the spouse and the kids and the extended family and their family and their family all come to Jesus Christ because you took the one step of sharing your faith. You went fishing. Amen. 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 This whole month or two months is going to be about catching men sharing the gospel, our lives being all about what he's called us to do. Our series is called Real Life, and we're headed toward the last day of the series, what we're calling Big Catch Sunday. It's June 30th. On June 30th, we will have invited our friends and family. We will have invited those that God's put on our heart. On that day, our message will be called, What are the biggest catches you could make in life? And on that day, we're going to give away a prize, a $100 gift card to Academy to the person who has made the biggest actual fish catch during the series. So what we've asked people to do is go fishing, catch a fish. Take a picture of it with you holding the fish, flash the vertical V in the picture, and we get the biggest fish, by the end of the two months, we'll give away this gift card. So I showed you last week my very feeble attempts at fishing and what that brought in, but I want to show you some that have come in since then. Check out this picture from Martha that she sent in. There you go, nice fish. She's got the vertical V going there. But she wasn't the only one. The, uh, the Boston family went fishing as well. Uh-oh, it's growing in size a little bit. That's a little bit bigger fish there. <clears throat> let's see what else we got. Hey, here we go. We got a big catfish on the ground. Let's see what else we got. Oh, there's Roseanne. Look at that. That's a big old catfish right there. Well, let's see the last one. That's big. <clears throat> so, ladies and gentlemen, here are your, uh, here's your next set of competition. If you're going to go fishing, you got to beat this right here. All right? That's big fish. Okay, so they're in the running. You can be too. Go fishing soon. Hold up the vertical V in uh, in the photo. Send it to the number, uh, the church cell phone number, uh, and we will enter you in the contest. Jesus always calls us to a vision bigger than what we might first attain or think. So what we're doing, each of us, we've taken a card. It has five slots on it. We're calling this our dream catch card because we all have people in our lives we've been praying for that need to come to Christ or need a good church home, that need to have some encouragement and some hope and some faith in their life. So if you haven't picked one of these up, pick one up in our lobby today. Take it home. And in place of those fish on that card, write the name of someone you're praying for. Invite them to Vertical sometime during the series, maybe even on June 30th, to come to that one day. And let's see what God does. Our message today is called Keep Fishing Until the Boat's Full. Sometimes it's, uh, we get stuck in our idea of what is enough. Okay, God, this, this is surely enough. I mean, I, I did what you asked me to do. This should be enough. In our story today, we're going to see Jesus say, you know, that really is not enough. I've got more I want to do. So I want you to go fishing Again, I want you to keep fishing until the boat is full. And we're going to operate from this one big truth, this one statement. Jesus calls us to fish with a vision bigger than our understanding, expectations, or limitations. Whatever you've got in your mind right now that are, is your understanding of who you think might come to Christ, your expectations about who might come to church or your limitations about what you think God can do through you, I'm asking you by faith to let all of those go, that you might trust God to do something fresh and different in your life, that you might not let your limitations, your expectations, your understanding of what God can do go away. Stop putting the limitations on yourself and saying, I just really don't know that much about the Bible. Well, I'm just not sure I'm really good at that. I don't know that I'm really good at talking to people. I'm not sure that my life... Stop. Stop. Those are all things the enemy is telling you. Those are all things you're believing about yourself. When Jesus calls you to fish, he says, go fish. Stop all that. Stop all that listening to the enemy. Stop all that guilt. Stop all that negative talk and do what I've called you to do. I'm making you fishers of men if you will follow me. This is where we're headed in our series. The same God who fed a multitude on a side of a hill with five loaves and two fish. The same God who resurrected the dead. The same God who healed those who were permanently ill is able to use your life to make a difference in someone else so they might be resurrected to new life, amen? This is what we're called to. I hope you know I'm just not preaching up here, right? This is not just my Sunday talk. This is what real life is about. Some people have this idea that uh, talking to other people about Jesus is the the pastor's role. Well, that's what he does. He's all holy and stuff. Look, I'm a guy, I'm a human like you are. I put my pants on one leg at a time like you do. I suspect that's what you do. I'm just a guy. But we have all been called to be followers of Jesus. We all have people in our lives that do not know him. We all have people in our lives that are in places of pain right now that need him. And it is our role to live selflessly to help them know and experience him. This life in Jesus is not just about me. You have not come here this morning, I hope, just because this moment is all about you, what you need, what you want, what you like, what you prefer, what, needs, what you need to be comfortable in your life. This is not what we are about as followers and as a church. We are about what he tells us to be about. And the one who's following him grows up in him and gets rid of themselves in the story. I lay down my rights. I lay down my expectations. I do what he calls me to do, not what I want to do. Amen? Our story comes today from Luke chapter 14, you can turn your Bibles there, we're starting in verse 12, it's a story Jesus tells, it's a a metaphor, it's a picture, it's a parable Jesus is going to use the picture of a a banquet, hence our beautiful table up here this morning. He's going to use the story of a banquet to help us understand what it means to be fishers of men. He's this beautiful story in a setting that uh, is filled with a lot of tension, actually. If you're reading along in Luke chapter 14, Jesus has been invited on the Sabbath to go visit in the home of a Pharisee, a well-known Pharisee, a man who's known for keeping the law, teaching the law. He's kind of like the epitome of rule and, and religious law in the day, and they invite Jesus into his house. They're bringing him in and they're really setting him up. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to get rid of him. They don't like his message. It's upsetting the apple cart. And and Jesus goes in wise and aware of the whole situation. He's not going to be tripped up. He's not going to be caught off guard. In fact, if you read the early parts of Luke 14 there, it says that while they're there in the house, there's this man who who has some difficulty moving about because of a condition he has with his legs. And Jesus Jesus poses a question to the Pharisees. is it lawful to uh, to heal on the Sabbath? He was hitting right at the heart of their their rule-based religion. And Jesus heals the man. Pow, right there and there's this awkward silence because they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do and it's awkward and Jesus just keeps punching at their hypocrisy. Jesus keeps just laying into them in the situation. If you had been in the room and you have any sensitivity to relational conflict, you would have been very uncomfortable in the moment. Because these men, these Pharisees have arranged themselves all at this this feast, this party, and they've called together the the, the most noted men, and they're all together there. They're trying to kind of social one up themselves. They're trying to impress all the others. And Jesus sees through all of it. He's like, boys, what are you doing? He even tells them in the, in the story before we get to uh, the part we're going to get to, he talks to them about having a dinner in which you invite all the people just to impress people. And, uh, and Jesus strikes at the, at the core of all of that, and it gets tense, and it gets awkward, and Jesus even says, you know, really, when you have a a dinner like this, you really shouldn't position yourselves at the best places. When you come and you should actually put yourself in the lower place so that in case, you know, they want to move you up to the chief part of the table, then that's fine. But you shouldn't go in looking to exalt yourself. And it's just awkward. It's tense. And we pick up the story here in verse 12. It says, then he, Jesus, also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper. Do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. Jesus says, look, I know what you're doing here. I know you're having this banquet because you want to be treated well. You want to be invited back to their house. You think if you can invite the next layer up in the social ladder that you'll get invited to their house next. It's kind of this social payback thing. You do good for me, I'll do good for you, and we'll one-up ourselves here in the social ladder. And Jesus strikes all that and says, look, don't do things to try to impress people. This is not what it means to be a worshiper and follower of God. Don't do things to outwardly impress Don't do things to try to give so that you make yourself look better. If you're going to do anything for someone, do something for someone who cannot pay you back. It's kind of hard, isn't it? Because every time we give to somebody, we expect them to give a little bit back to us. You know, you're driving down the highway and you let someone over in front of you. You travel on down the highway and it comes that moment where you think they ought to give you a little space now. And they don't. Woo. Hello? Uh-huh. You notice I use a lot of highway illustrations here? Yeah? Because <laughs> we, we all can relate to that. And we have this expectation if we treat someone a certain way, they ought to treat us in the same way. And Jesus kind of strikes at the core of all that and says, look, when you have the dinner, don't invite the people who can pay you back. Don't invite your rich friends. Don't invite only your people. You should have a different perspective because love does something different. Love gives without expectation of return. Love serves without expectation of having to get something back. Love does it without, now you owe me something, you owe me. In our family as we were raising our kids we kind of had these relational rules that we built into the family dynamic. And because sometimes our kids, I won't say which ones, would come to us and say, Hey, Dad, if I clean my room, can we go to McDonald's today? I said, Well, here's the deal in this family, we do not do bribes. Don't come to me with, I'll do this if you. If you want that, just come ask me. But we're not going to do, I'll do this if you. I'll be nice to you if you will do this for me. We don't relate like that in our family. And we taught them that. Because love doesn't operate in that fashion. Love doesn't say, I'll do for you if you will do for me. Love just does with no expectation, it cuts the cord. It releases it. It lets it go. It gives sacrificially. And if you get nothing back, if you get absolutely nothing back out of it, you still have the joy of knowing you loved. But if you've if you've hung all your expectations up, well, I gave them something. I'm just waiting for the day they better give me something back. And if you hold it over them, well, hey, you remember that time I you automatically? Uh. If that's how you're operating. I'm going to have to challenge your, your way of relating. I'm not sure that that truly is sacrificial, give it up, let it go, love. You're, you're, you're giving and you're serving with an expectation of getting something back off the deal. And Jesus confronts the Pharisees with it and he says, this, this is not the way. This is not how you relate. The story goes on. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Ooh, Jesus just pronounces a whole new way. He says, look, when you're going to give, when you're going to have a feast, when you're going to do something, don't do it with the expectation of this will get you something back. In fact... Do it for those who can't do for themselves. Look at the list there. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. They couldn't work. They didn't have any money. They had no resources. They had no way to repay. And Jesus says, when you give a feast, a feast, those are the ones you invite. Jesus was teaching a principle Love gives out of overflow with no expectation for return. Boy, that just strikes against everything that we naturally know, doesn't it? It just kind of goes against what's natural to us. And Jesus is giving them a bigger vision about life. And you can imagine in this setting with the Pharisees sitting there, there had to be awkwardness. There had to be some silence. There had to be some sense of, man, he is talking right to my heart, but I am not going to let anybody see that. There had to be some sense of, man, he is irritating the fire out of me right now. How dare he call us out in the middle of this situation? So into this situation, verse 4, 15, there's someone in the room that just uh, can't stand the tension and they had to say something. You ever have some people in your family like that? There's some tension in the room, there's some, something going on, and in that moment, somebody just has to say something, you know? They're not even sure it's really a good thing, but they say it anyway. Verse 15, it says, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who can eat bread at the kingdom of God, at the table of kingdom of God. What? It's weird, it's awkward, but he just has to say something. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Let's just cut the tension here. Let's just say something. Let's go on. Can't we just move on to the next course? This is awkward. Jesus, why are you doing this? And Jesus isn't finished. Verse 16, 17. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time, to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. Let me, let me kind of give a little background on this because um, their dinner invitation is a little bit different than our dinner invitations right now. If you want to uh, go to dinner with someone, you call them up. You say, hey, um, well, you probably text them actually. Hey, you want to go out to eat at uh, Chili's? Sure. Okay. Be over at 7 o'clock. Bye. Done. And they show up 7 o'clock, get in the car, you go. You go eat. That's how it works. Back in this day, there's gonna be a feast. The one giving the feast would send out an invitation first and say, hey, I'm gonna have a feast. I'm gonna prepare it. I've gotta get everything. It's gonna take a little while. I gotta go, I gotta go kill the animals. I gotta bring them back. I gotta do the preparation work, but make sure you got your calendars cleared. Clear the time, clear the day. I'll tell you what day I'll tell you where. I'll tell you who's going to be there, but I'm not going to tell you the exact time. And they couldn't text. They couldn't send an email. And so what would happen is a master would say, I'll send out a servant, and he'll come get you when it's time. And so in this story, Jesus says, a certain man gave a great supper and he invited many. He already sent the invitation out. I'm going to have a a feast. I'm going to have this event. And he sent the servant out to say when it was time, when the supper was ready. And he would come with this message, come, all things are ready. Now just keep all this in mind. This is a, a man of royalty, a man of power. It's a really nice meal. It's elaborate. It's a, it's a palace. It's a palatial meal. It's going to be good food, rich food. Not many got to come, but there's this unique invitation to those who were in the community to come. And the invitation is going to go out. The servant's going to go. He's going to say, the meal is ready. The king has prepared. The king has sacrificed. The king has a meal that he wants to invite you to. It's time. So the servant goes out. In the picture, of course, Jesus is the servant. Just keep that in your mind here, verse 18. It says that, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. So the servant goes out to the invited guest list. He goes to those who were appointed to come. He says, It's time, it's time to come to the meal. It's ready. You've got to come. It's going to be amazing. The food is more than you can imagine. It's delicious. The setting is beautiful. The master is ready. He wants you to come to a meal with him. And it says that they all began to make excuses. Mm. It says that the first said to him, hey, I bought a uh, piece of ground and I must go and see it. I asked You to have me excused? I can't really come to the meal. You see, I'm busy. I got I got something going on. I I really I can't make it. And here's the excuse that is lame, (laughs) lame excuse. I bought some property, and I need to go see it. (laughs) Who buys property having not seen it? It's a lame excuse. He's just covering up. He doesn't want to go, and he makes up an excuse, and this is the excuse? I have bought some property, a piece of ground, and I have to go see it, really? So what you're saying is what you've got going on in your life is far more important than what the master has for your life. Yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying, what I am acquiring in my life is more than what the master is acquiring. Mm Mm-hmm, that's what you're saying. What you are doing with your strength, your time, resources, what you're getting for yourself is more important than what the master can give to you. Is that what you're saying? Sadly, that's what a lot of people say. They hear about a great feast that God has made for those who will come to the table. And the servant comes, Jesus himself, and says, all things are ready. Come. And they say, you know, uh, that's all great and everything. Nice meal. Nice invitation. Really, I appreciate it a lot. But, man, have you seen what I've got going on at work? I just, I mean, I've just got so much. I mean, I'm trying to to do some work in my house. Yeah, I'm really busy. I got, I'm trying to do, I get it. You're more consumed with your stuff than the master's stuff. I get it. He goes on in verse verse 19, it says, and another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Lame excuse. You bought some oxen, let me get this straight, you bought some oxen and you now want to go test them to make sure they're good oxen. You bought them already, having not tested them. You bought the car without driving it. You bought it without seeing it. You bought it without a test drive. This is your excuse? Lame excuse. In other words, what you've got going on is far more important than what the master has going on. What you want to do with your life is more important than what the master wants to do with your life. What you want to spend your energy, time, and money on is more important than what the master has for your life. I get it. But still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. This has to be the lamest excuse of them all, right? (laughs) Ladies, right? If you found out your man got invited to a feast, a feast that you're never going to get to go to again, in a palace that you are never going to get a chance to go to again, and that's fully served, is all prepared, and it's time, all you have to do is go. It's not going to cost anything. You're going to meet a lot of other people. It's going to be the night, and you find out your man says, I'm sorry, we can't go. We just, uh, you know, I just married her, and I just can't do that. That's crazy. What a lame excuse. You don't want to go because you married a wife? What? Lame excuse. In other words, you're just going to do what you want to do. The rest is all cover up. Ooh, Jesus is just, He's just creating one awkward moment after another in this scenario. He just, just punching right through their hypocrisy. He's just punching right through all their excuses. It had to be awkward in the room as Jesus is just speaking truth to them, just pounding them with story. It just reveals their selfishness, their own greed. Verse 21. It says, so that servant, that servant who'd gone out to the guest list that servant who went out with the invitation, that servant who went out with good news about a banquet in the master's palace, that servant, he came and reported these things to his master. Can you imagine that? He goes back in, maybe he's feeling defeated, maybe he's discouraged. I I told them the good news. I, I, I told them what was happening. I told them about the food. I told them about the place. I told them about you. They weren't interested. They gave me lame excuses. I could tell they are just making this stuff up. It says, in the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. Rather than discourage the servant, rather than just end it right there and say, all right, just sit down. It'll just be the two of us. We'll just share this food, and we'll just eat it all ourselves until we're sick. The master says, no, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna go back out. I'm gonna send you to a different group this time. You went to the first guest list, but now I've got another guest list for you. And this guest list, you will know by this. They will be the ones who are poor. They will be the ones who are maimed. They will be the ones who are lame, and they will be the ones who are blind. This is who you go to now. When the servant came back the first time and said, this is all I got the master gave him a bigger vision. I want you to go back out. I'm gonna broaden the scope here a little bit. I'm gonna change the demographic of what you're looking for. I'm gonna change what this whole thing is about. I want you to go back out. I've prepared a meal. I've sacrificed for this meal. It's a rich meal. The people need it and you've got to go back out but I want you to look for a different group this time. He gave the servant a bigger vision. He painted a bigger picture for them to go out to, to find, to bring in. You know, I think about us here at Vertical. I think about what we're called to. I think about our setting and how sometimes in church, it's easy to look for those who are like us, who we can socially relate to. But the Bible calls us as followers to a vision bigger than our expectations, understanding, and limitations, right? And so that guest list is bigger than what you may have thought. I think about, in our area, you think about Ovilla, Midlothian, Red Oak. We might not find in our specific locale those who are what we might consider impoverished. You won't find people living under the bridge down here in Ovilla. You won't find people begging for food at the intersection. But what you will find in our area are people who are spiritually impoverished. They are poor. They do not have the resources to answer their spiritual hunger. They've got a need in their heart to find peace and they don't know the answer. They have a desperate need in their heart for love and they don't have the answer. They've got a desperate need in their heart for forgiveness, for cleansing, for somehow reconciling what's going on in their life, reconciling where God is, making something new of themselves, and they have absolutely no way of getting to that spot in their life because they are spiritually poor, and they're right here. They're in our area. In fact, what makes it so difficult is they live in houses that make them look like they're not poor. They drive cars that make them look like they're not poor. They dress and eat like they're not poor. But inside, they are starving for truth. They don't have the answers. And that is who you and I are called to. There are people in our area who have been maimed. They've had some events happen in their life that have disfigured them, that have made it difficult for them to function, to get around, to go places. And I'm not talking about physically maimed. I'm talking about they've been in some situations where they have been hurt very deeply. Maybe it was in a marriage, maybe it was in a close friendship, maybe it was in a church And they have been maimed in those situations to the point that they don't even know how to function anymore. And the thought of even getting close to a church or coming around the presence of God isn't even an interest of theirs because they are maimed by what happened to them. That is who you and I are called to those who can't get there on their own, they're struggling. They're crippled. They're crippled in their relationships. They're crippled in their ability to communicate. They're crippled in their ability to get to God. They look great on the outside, but they're crippled. They're maimed and lame in their heart. But the Master also sent them out to those who are blind, those who can't see, those who even if they knew there was going to be a banquet, would have no way of knowing how to get there because they were blind to all of it. They couldn't see where to go. There are people in our area who are blind to the truth, the peace, the hope, the grace, the love of God. And they're in desperate need of someone to come to them and lead them. Back to our story, the servant went out and he did just what the master said. It says in verse 22 that the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. I went out. I went to that group. I, I got a bigger vision. I went to them. I sacrificed. I served. And I brought them. I found a way to get them here. He says, and still there's room. There's some more room at the table. You know, the the table where you prepared the the lavish meal, The, the table that has everything that anyone could ever hope for, the table that is provided only at the expense of the master, not the one who comes to it. He said, and there's still room. You would think at this point, the master might say, Ah, oh, okay, fine, let's all sit down. Someone start the music up, let's get to eating, you know? You think, oh, that's probably enough. We've, we've got uh, 40 of the 60 seats filled. I don't know what the number was. Shouldn't this be enough? Verse 23, then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. The servant could have said, surely it's enough. Come on now. I mean, look, I went out, I sacrificed, I served, I got them, brought them all in. It should be enough, right? The master said, no. I want you to go back out. And then he gave him a bigger vision, a bigger picture. I want you to go further this time. I want you to extend the reach. I want you to go to a group that is outside, they're out really on the margins of town. They're out on the edge of town. They're, they're in the, 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 the area they call the highways and the hedges, the areas outside of town, the areas where they had those who had been rejected lived, where those who couldn't find a place in the city had gone there. They had little hope. They had little life. They had little interest in even existing, and they're out there on the margins of the city, and the master says, this is who I want you to go to now. Bigger vision. you have to go beyond what you have thought this dinner was all about. You're going to have to go further than what you thought this dinner was going to all have at it. I want you to go where you haven't gone. On the margins of town. We have people living here near us, Ovilla, Midlothian, Red Oak, Waxahachie, who live in nice neighborhoods, but they're living on the margins of life. They're living out on the edge because they, they can't find the place of hope, and they're really just existing out there on the very edge. All it's gonna take is one more event, and they're ready to conclude, I'm done with this life. I'm done with this marriage. I'm done with these kids. I'm done, I'm done I'm done. And the servant is given a vision to go to them. And he says, and when you go to them, the master says, I want you to compel them. You see the word in the verse? Compel them to come. I don't want you to go and just say, hey, there's a dinner. Yo, food. No, I want you to go, and I want you to compel them. In other words, I want you to convince them. I want you to urge them. I don't want you to stop until you have given your all in strength to see that they come. Compel them, urge them, convince them, get them here. You've got to get them to this table. They need this table. The master provided this table. Compel them to come in. And perhaps the most moving part The last part of the verse, the master says, that my house may be filled. The master says, I I prepared this food. I prepared this table. It's what they need, and I want it full. You don't hear at any point here the, the servant trying to question argue, debate. Instead, he does this because he hears the master's heart. The master's heart is for the table and the house to be filled. And the servant doesn't stop until the master says stop. And if he says I want it full, then I'm gonna work until it's full because it's what the master wants, not what I want. The servant could've said, well, if I go out again, the food's gonna be cold. If I go out again, I might not get any. Servant, your place is secure. Go back, go out, bigger vision. I want you to go and fish bigger than what you thought bigger than what your mind perceived, bigger than what you expected this whole thing to be about, bigger than what you had understood, I want you to do this. I want you to go because my heart's desire as the master is for my house to be full. Now, let's make some uh, application for ourselves personally and as a church. God has provided for us a table of blessing. Amen. Amen. Since we've been here as Vertical Church, he has proven himself over and over again. He continues to show himself faithful. He's blessed us. He's blessed us with his goodness. He's blessed us with facilities, but beyond all of that, he's blessed us with intimacy with him, with grace from him, with wisdom from him. He is teaching all of us how to walk in him. Our families are being blessed in him. And we sit at a table rich with food, his spiritual food that teaches us and trains us. And it's easy to sit at the table and think, isn't this food good? Hey, can I get some more of those uh, potatoes? Yeah, yeah this food is really amazing. I just love being at this table. It's just awesome. Can I get some more fried chicken? Yeah, okay. This food is just, I love being here with the people. Can I get some apple pie with it? Yeah, okay, great. It's tempting to get comfortable at the table and think it's all about us. But outside are those who are starving, who can't even get here Because they can't find a place in their heart to pull up in the parking lot. They can't find a place in their heart to reach out to you, their neighbor, and say, can you help me? They are poor in their heart. They are desperate. They are maimed and lame and blind. And they aren't going to get to the table because someone just put up a sign They're going to get to the table when someone goes to them and compels them to come to the table. It's the only way. And I feel like God is taking us as a church to a new step. We've walked in some some big places so far. We just finished this whole series about mountains and places of faith and we've trusted God with some big stuff in our life. The biggest thing in our life is the calling to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. The biggest part of your life is not your finances. Sorry. The biggest part in your life is not even your family. The biggest part in your life is the calling you have to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. God has a purpose. He's got a plan. He's got a way. He's got a a way that he fits all of that together. He calls us to love our families, and he calls us to serve, and he calls us to lead, and he calls us to make a difference. He calls us for a vision. He calls us to reach out to those maimed, lame, poor, and blind. Perhaps the saddest, verse 24, the end of our passage today, says, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper how sad how tragic people invited refused to come but how glorious that those who were in need heard the call of the servant so i close today with a question for all of us as a church and individually how big is your vision for fishing I want to have a vision that's based on his vision, not mine. If I go literally fishing, I'm pretty happy to just catch one and I'm done. But I don't want to be a one and done when it comes to fishing for Christ. I don't want to say, eh, this should be enough. This should be plenty. I'm good. I want us even as a church to be the ones who say, what next? There's some room still. Okay, we're going back out. Here we go. Bigger vision. God, give us a bigger vision. We'll go. You, you mean we gotta, I got to change some things about my life? Okay. I'll, I'll go back out. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll serve. I'm out. I'll compel. I'll bring. I'll rearrange because this is what you've called us to. It's a new step. It's a new place. It's what God's calling us to. When I look down the road and I see vertical, this is something we talk about as a staff. What's, God, what do you have down the road for us? I don't mean down the road, but time-wise what we talked about even just this past week is a future where vertical becomes this place where the ways of God are taught. They are taught in very practical, tangible ways so that people in our community who say, my marriage is an absolute wreck, what do I do? You come here because we know how to teach a vertical way of life. Here's what you need to do. And we tell them, and they get involved, and they are changed in the midst of it all. We become that place that's known as the light of our culture, the light of the world, salt of the earth, difference makers right here. You think, well, who's going to do all that? Who's going to teach? Who's going to lead? Who's going to do all of that? Us. All of us right here. And you say, us? Are you looking at me? Mm Mm-hmm. I am. You don't know yet what God's called you to do. You don't even get the scope of how big it is yet. But he's calling you. He's going to teach you. He's going to train you. You and I are going to be those leaders. You and I are going to be those teachers. We're going to seek the kingdom, and he's going to bless, and we're going to compel those who are outside to come in. Amen? Amen. I want to be that church who makes that difference, who compels them to come, and we set the table, and we have what's needed for them to have life, and we keep going for them, and we keep going for them. Would you bow your heads with me? God is speaking to us today. He's speaking to individuals He's speaking to us as a church. He's calling us to next steps. He's calling us to go. He's calling us to compel. Would you be in a place today to say, God, I will be like the servant. I won't get comfortable. I won't get focused on me. I'll be focused on what you've called us to do. I'll rearrange. I'll serve I'll change, I'll give, I'll lead, I'll be trained, I'll follow you so that I can truly be a fisher of men. God, I pray you will take your word taught to us today by your spirit in our hearts that we'll be like the servant who's willing to go, who's willing to reach, who's willing to make a difference, who's willing to invite, who's willing to compel, so that those who are without hope, without life today, can know life. I pray for us to have a heart that's surrendered and willing to follow you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. What a great message from Pastor Brian. Jesus called his disciples to have a vision and a passion for seeing others set free and He calls us to do the same. How big is your vision for fishing? God can use you to change the world. Come see us next week live at 1030.